Welcome to the Movie Heaven, Movie Hell podcast special with me, Simon Aiken. And I'm Keith Isles. And yes, we do have a special in store for you today. Yes. Um, in honour of Future Day, we're going to talk about the Back to the Future trilogy. Yay. So this is our 88 mile an hour edition. <laughs> <laughs> or the 1.21 gigawatt edition. <laughs> Indeed. Or we could get really obscure and call it the make like a tree and get out of here edition. <laughs> you know you sound like an idiot when you get I it am. Yeah, absolutely. You always sound like a damn fool. So, so I'm guessing people will be listening to this on October 21st, 2015. Exactly. Which yes. is future days when uh, Marty and Doc go to the future where there's flying cars and hoverboards and Pepsi Perfect and Jaws 19 and self-drying clothes. Yeah. All of these things, they got about a week to get it sorted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they got to pull their thumb out. But this is the actual future day and not like uh, I remember about five years ago, many people uh, assumed it was future day because of the bit where Doc Brown and the first film was going to go 25 years into the future before the Libyans turn up. And oh, right. uh, I remember there was a lot of back when I used to be on Facebook back then, there used to be a lot of posts saying, oh, it's back to the future day and all this. And I'm thinking, uh, no, it's not, guys, not for another five years. <laughs> yeah, there was um, they had the same thing last year about this time. Oh, it's future day. It's like, no, no next year 2015 <laughs> yes i do want to know what happened to the other 14 jaws films that we never got <laughs> <laughs> well, i think jaws the revenge killed it <laughs> yes yeah but they they did get uh, what is it they always say they got half the things right and half the things wrong but uh yeah there's there was quite, there's quite a few uh i mean i've noticed teenagers are not wearing their jeans inside out no. for a start and uh We've already mentioned loads of the others. <laughs> yeah, uh, video games are still played with their hands. Exactly. They're still a baby's toy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't have any uh, nostalgia shops where they sell stuff from the 20th century. No, exactly. And the M25 is still blocked. We do not have a Skyway. <laughs> no. And they can't predict the weather either to the seconds. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But, but uh, uh, um, it's other still, than that, though, though in the future, they still have fax machines, which indeed, we don't. Indeed, so we beat them on that. <laughs> and apparently uh, Pepsi Perfect is going to be available from next week. So I've um, heard. I know. I mean, they technically have made a hoverboard, just nothing you could go out. And um, it's certainly not a bulldog. No, no. And I'm, we're not hydrating our pizzas either at home. No, we're not. No, we're still microwaving them. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, you know, we say all of this with utter fondness. In fact, it's hard to believe it's been 30 years, isn't it? That's scary because that was such a throwaway, you know, number. Oh, 30 years in the future that they said at the time. And it's yeah. like, oh, my God, we're actually here. That's scary. <laughs> oh, well. But Let's... I... But I Let's, think... let's 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 go down memory lane. Oh yes, to the year nineteen eighty five when yes. the first Bats of the Future came out. Now, did you see this at the cinema? Because I didn't. Uh, well, I actually did. Yes, this was oh, one of those. Uh, normally on the memory lane things, we talk about you know video uh, VHS days and whatever. 
And my, my good friend Wayne, that I've mentioned before, who used to come over for um, uh, Saturdays watching videos, on this particular Saturday, we got on our bikes. That's how long ago it was, <laughs> push bikes. <laughs> and we cycled down to the Bournemouth cinema uh, to see this film. So, yes, I was fortunate enough to actually see this one on the big screen. Wow. I, I didn't. I remember going on a, a field trip at school uh, on the tube and seeing the posters, There's the big high posters of uh, Marty McFly with the car, uh, the Drew Stewson uh, poster. And Wonderful poster. It is, yeah. and I just, it's just stuck with me for a long time. Um, I saw it on VHS the year afterwards at Christmas time. Um, my dad rented it for us and we also had my aunt and her family there and it was the first time we saw it you know as a family and stuff and uh, I just remember it being you know thought it was great I really enjoyed it and of course the the end part with the clock tower was really tense and um, that certainly sort of stuck with me yeah no no absolutely um like, like I said I, I remember uh you know, it was a Saturday, it was not a school day, so we were able to cycle down and, and see it at the cinema. And, uh, I, you know, at the time, I wanted to see it just because it said Steven Spielberg Presents, you know, and it had obviously this this uh, um, really, really cool poster, uh, like you've already mentioned, and went to see it, not really knowing too much about it, um, and was absolutely blown away. I mean, loved every minute of it, was totally taken on the journey. Um, you know, you know, thought Marty McFly was cool. He was a, a few years older than, than than what I was at the time. But you know, I I thought, ah, oh, you know, this guy's cool, and this 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 is an interesting type of hero. And uh, yeah, just just I, I really wanted a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> I remember back in the day, even then, that uh, DeLoreans were considered a joke. Oh yeah. Considered this uh, the Skoda of its time. Yeah, definitely. So you know, I I got the joke when uh, Doc Brown said, you know, I, I wanted to make a time machine out of something classic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because everybody else considered it to be a pile of junk. Yeah, yeah. No, it it was good. All of the all of the uh, you know the the, the comedy, the action, uh, ev everything just worked really well in it. And uh, I mean, you know, a real credit to you know Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale because I think the actual story and and an idea um was really good for starters but then you know beautifully executed by everybody else involved well yeah I mean that's the thing because uh, originally um the story is was just about you know what would it be like to go back and see your parents as teenagers absolutely I mean, that's just the starting block. And then they built this sort of action-adventure comedy on top of it. And it just works so well. But it's nice that you still got the the whole thing with Marty meeting his parents and having to, you know, because he's interrupted the timeline, you know, interfered with um, how events should have played out, that he has to go back and correct them. Yeah. And it just... It's, it's just marvelous. It just works so well, and it's, 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 it just helps drive the film because you have these two goals that he has to achieve. He has to get his parents back together, otherwise he won't exist. But he also has to get back to the future as well, mm -hmm. 
and the only time you can do that is when the um the lightning bolt hits the clock tower yep so you've got a ticking clock quite literally and um yeah yeah you've got you know he's up against these you, you know it is the perfect mixture of sort of um you, you know suspense and sci-fi and action and comedy and they they've kind of they've kind of uh you know they they got the formula in this film absolutely perfect um you, you know everything from dean cundy's cinematography to uh you know alan silvestri's wonderful score that went with this to of course all of the all of the amazing performances i mean it it, it really works you know on every level and uh i've never met anyone that actually doesn't like this film um you, you know no I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like this film i'm sure i'm sure there are i'm sure there's haters out there absolutely but, uh... <laughs> but i just talking about the score it's interesting how um the first film the intro to it's very low-key as in you don't get the back to the future fanfare that you do with the following two films so you get the universal logo and there's no sound and then you just hear the sounds of uh, Doc Brown's laboratory. You know, the whole sequence where you see, like, his breakfast yeah. being prepared. It's a wonderful TV shot. coming on. It is, though. Uh, I know somebody who doesn't like that scene. Really? Why? Yeah. Terry, <laughs> Terry Gilliam. Really? Oh, my God. Terry Gilliam feels that Spielberg ripped him off because he has a similar sequence in Brazil. Right. Okay. Well... Because yeah. in Brazil, there's a sequence where uh, Sam Lowry's breakfast is being made, but of course it's all going wrong. So in Brazil, like tea's being poured onto his toast and, you know, all kinds of things are going wrong. Uh, they should look at it as a homage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it, it probably was. I mean, Spielberg does watch a lot of stuff, so I uh, don't know if it was his idea to put it in there, but for the film it works really well it's a great intro introduction and then of course you get the whole sequence with uh marty and the amp yeah well i mean i mean that clock sequence you know not only is it you know wonderfully thematic because of course it's completely mm. about time okay but also you know you you learn everything you need to know about the doc brown character before you even meet him i mean it, it, it's it's wonderful in terms of you know, um, setting up things that are going to pay off later, and 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 you know, uh, you know, informing character as well as plot and as well as thematics and whatever. It's it's, it's just, I think it's just a wonderful opening to the film, and uh, yeah. I love it. Well, you 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 get the news piece about how uh, some plutonians gone missing, which is key. <laughs> yes, very key. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great sequence. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody listening to this podcast, um, you, you, you know, it, 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 it's going to be. I, I think it's true to say this is probably going to be a bit of a love fest podcast because because there is no movie hell. Is no, that. it's just going to be movie hell. Exactly, and 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 you know, for me, it is. You know, obviously, the first film, you know, it was never intended originally to have a sequel and it works you, you know beautifully on its own as 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 a standalone film but in terms of the trilogy itself it, it is one of my all-time favorite trilogies and it's one of those it's one of those franchises that um 
I don't know how many times I've dipped into in terms of purchasing. Uh, you know, I, I bought them all on VHS when they were first released. Um, then they released yep, them as widescreen here. versions with a with a with a tape of bonus features, which I got that made up the picture of the DeLorean. And then uh, when it came out on a special edition DVD, I, I bought that. And then five years ago, I bought the Blu-ray. And would you believe it? Well, of course you wouldn't. It's marketing. But they've gone and re-released it again now on Blu-ray for its 30th anniversary edition with um, even more new special features and, and, and bits and pieces. <laughs> so it's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, but you know there's a discrepancy between the British disc and the American disc. There is. The Americans, they... They get the cartoon yes. series, which we don't get. Well, we get. get two episodes, but they get the entire 26 episodes. In fact, I'm so I'm glad you mentioned that because as a side thing, I am so tempted to either do a website or a blog or uh, another YouTube channel or something called BR DVD Minefield <laughs> to cover these oh, things because it's always been the same ever since we, ever since DVDs started. It's it's always been, you know, a bit of a crapshoot in terms of which version you should buy if you want to get, you know, if you want to be a completist like I always do and you want the best versions with the best extras and the best this and the best that. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we've got a version here that comes in the flux capacitor casing and whatever, but exactly as you, you've pointed out, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I, I did want to get onto that, is that the UK version, yeah, it has the new documentary and it has the booklet, but it doesn't have the animated series, which uh, which I have to say, I've not, even though I'm a massive fan of the three films, I've not actually seen the animated series, which I think would be fantastic oh, really? to, to get hold of, you know? it's It was all right um it, what it did was uh it made doc brown's kids uh jules and Vern, <laughs> more the center of the story so um doc and marty were sort of more bit players all ah, right so it, it it was all right i remember enjoying watching it and um you know each week they go to a different yeah. time zone and different adventures it was very much like uh bill and ted's excellent adventure the cartoon series yeah i'm i mean i always thought what a, what a great i i mean i was aware of the cartoon series i just never happened to see them but I, I always remembered that it was a really good concept i thought you know um i always looked at it I, I, as doc marty and einstein sort of adventures in time but uh um obviously they they chose to go more with the kids angle by the sounds you know oh yeah i think I, einstein was a big player in it as well uh, just off the top of my head. I mean, it's been a long time since I saw it. But yeah, it was about that time when a lot of films had cartoon spin-offs because um, you had what I already mentioned, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but you also had Beetlejuice. Right. Beetlejuice had its own cartoon series as well. So. Right. Do you, do you know another bit of uh, silly trivia, but it always kind of makes me chuckle in terms of what's happening? So apparently, um, as you probably know, before it ended up with Universal, this kind of went round all the studios, um, you, you know, and nobody until until uh, Zemeckis had massive success with *Romancing the Stone*. Kind of, you know, none, mm. none of the studios were particularly interested. And what makes me laugh is um, the story is that Disney passed on it because of the scene where um, she kisses. Uh, 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 sorry. Um, 
that, that Marty's kissed by his mother and they were like, oh, my God, you know, that that's incest. You know, we can't have that. But it makes me laugh that <laughs> Disney now own the Star Wars franchise. But it's fine that you've got Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker kissing. <laughs> in Empire. Uh, let's see, the, dif- the difference is they didn't know. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> no, no idea. Yeah. It, it, it was funny. I mean, I saw a fact that... Um, Originally, it was Eric Stoltz, Stoltz in the role of Marty McFly and not Michael J. Fox. And um, I believe uh, if it wasn't on the previous Blu-ray release, it's on this one where they've actually released most of the footage. Well, yeah, they, they've basically what they've done, because I mean, obviously that story has been you know known about widely for, for, for years, but that you could never other than the odd photograph, you could never really see mm. any of the footage as such. Now, on the one they released five years ago, they did have uh, a few brief shots of it but it was with um interviews going on over the top so you didn't actually hear any oh, of right. the dialogue um and you know they, they they shot for five weeks so they did a lot of the hill valley they, they pretty much did all the hill valley square sequences and the stuff at like doc brown's um uh place and the stuff in twin pine malls so they'd actually done an amazing amount with it but what, what i always found so interesting with it was was the fact that you know even even down to the wardrobe choices were completely different i mean it, it would be oh god yeah eric eric stoltz hair yeah yeah i mean he had this kind of crazy hairdo and he had like mm. and he was dressed in black and he you obviously didn't have the life preserver joke <laughs> in that version of the no. script because you, you know he didn't wear a body warmer and it, you, you know it, it was very uh it was very different and obviously you know, quite a sad story because I actually really like Eric Stoltz. Um, but you know, obviously he wasn't quite working out right for the uh, for the comic timing, and and you know they'd always originally wanted uh, Michael J. Fox, but obviously until they were able to strike a deal with the producers of Family Ties, it, you know that that wasn't looking like an option. And now, of course, it's hard to imagine anyone else being Marty McFly. Obviously. I can I'd say something. There is one shot of Eric Stoltz that's remained in That's the Future. And I was doing I was doing some research today and I found this on YouTube. Right. There is one shot. And it's the bit when Marty McFly punches Biff Tannen in the restaurant. Oh, is that is, the close is that, up. Um... that is Eric Stoltz wow. punch. Okay. If you look at it, because one thing you can tell is that Biff Tannen looks very fresh-faced, and also the blind behind him is actually open. When but in all the other shots, it's closed. Interesting. Oh my god, you make me it's... want to put it in now and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, I mean, I mean, the th- the thing is, uh, obviously, in, in a parallel universe somewhere else, where they probably do have flying cars and and Pepsi Perfect and things of that nature. As they showed it in Fringe, (laughs) there is a version of Back to the Future starring Eric Stoltz, (laughs) which is always a nice little in-joke in Fringe that I liked. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know if it would have been the success it was. Who knows? Who knows? As you say, because they changed things to be for Michael J. Fox. So, you know. And also the actors got to go through it again. And I'm sure it just improved their performances. Yeah. The second time oh, I'm sure. Around. 
I'm sure. I mean, you know, they, they were they were fortunate to be able to sort of go to that, you know, length to be able to do all of that stuff again. But I guess when you've got Steven Spielberg as your producer, then <laughs> then these sort of things can happen. So, uh, yeah, you, you know, but uh, um, but what a wonderful movie. Uh, you, you know, it really is. Um, and it's a completely sort of non-offensive, uh, enjoyable family fun ride isn't it basically it's yeah. it's it, it works on so many levels and uh i love it <laughs> <laughs> um i was quite interesting because again i was sort of just going back to sort of doing some research today i saw an interview with crispin glover mm-hmm. and as we know crispin glover was only in the first film yes. and he didn't return to parts two or three because of uh what was according to the producers, a pay dispute. Mm-hmm. But um, according to Crispin Glover, it was more a fact that he sort of took offence to certain things, which he didn't want to go into. But he did say that he wasn't a fan of the ending to the original Back to the Future because he felt that um, because everything had worked out well for the McFlies, that money was their reward. Right. Because, you know, they go from... I don't know. Oh yeah, being quite poor to having loads of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it and in his eyes he saw that the reward was money when the reward really should have been love. Yeah, well this was the mid eighties. Which is true. Big... <laughs> yeah. But I mean I see his point, but I think that was a great way of just showing how much had changed. Yeah. Because if you're if you that was but the thing was in in the story that there were certain beats came back so at the beginning marty mcfly is talking to jennifer about how he doesn't know if if he's good enough you know what if they listen to his his tape and they just say get out of here kid we we don't want to know he's like i couldn't take that kind of rejection and then of course when he talks to his father in the past his father says the exactly the same thing about his writing it's wonderfully layered i mean it is wonderfully layered i mean you you know the the um this that's one of those stories i guess we'll we'll never really know because obviously from the production's Mm. point of view it was that um you you know crispin glover wanted equal billing with michael j fox and that he wanted more money and he made like kind of a list of demands and then this is why they ended up to sort of write the character out of the uh, of the second film and replaced him with Jeffrey Wiseman. They didn't write him out. They well, I yeah. mean, they wrote a lot of what but, they were going to do with him out. Hence, why he's kind of yeah. in the alternate nineteen eighty five. He's 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 in the cemetery. You know, he's he's dead. Um, and then, of yeah. course, they had to come up with this contraption again that we don't have in two thousand and fifteen. Where uh, what do they call it? The orthopod or whatever? Was it where you've got the, <laughs> when he's floating yeah, upside exactly. down? So they got yeah. the actor Jeffrey Wiseman hanging upside down so it's not so obvious that it's not the same actor and of course they've aged him up 30 years and and all that stuff but uh yeah i mean it's a shame can i just say something about that i I didn't know this and this came out the crispin glover interview but there was a change in the sag rules because um they used um a cast of crispin glover's face to do the makeup Mm -hmm. and so it did so people thought that that actor was actually Crispin Glover. Yeah, and there's now there's a now rule in in SAG where they can't do that. Interesting. 
you can't you can't use like an actor's likeness and put it onto somebody else just because you're having a dispute with them. Well, yeah, so, fair enough. Interesting. So that's that's a way the industry's changed slightly as a result of that film. There you go. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I mean, you know, it, it's a shame because I, I thought I actually thought in the first film, Crispin Glover as George McFly was was wonderful, whether he was playing him, you know, old or young. Um, I yeah. thought the performance was hilarious, um, you know, and, and it was just it was just fantastic, you know, and it's a shame because it would have been interesting to see where they may have gone with that character, you know, had, had things worked out. Yeah, but I mean, it was, I don't know, in some ways it kind of was for the best because it just then made the story more about uh, Doc Brown and Michael J. Fox. Sorry, uh, Marty McFly. But <laughs> um, I have to say, second one, second one's this weird mix. I, I enjoy it, but you can see it's kind of like um, it's a joiner between the first one and the third one. Well, yeah, I mean, it is that dark second act, isn't it? Like the Empire Strikes Back in the original Star Wars trilogy. It's that. Yes, um... but no, but my, my point being that um, that in the first one and the third one, you can see there's, there's, a, there's a lot more effort put into it. Now, I'm not saying um, the second one. I mean, there's some really nice stuff in that. I mean, the fact that they went back to the first part and they did the whole thing with Marty McFly trying to get the uh, sports almanac off Biff while all this is going on from the first one. So trying not to interfere with that was really well done. And I didn't mind the whole sort of future stuff, but it's... The, the the thing about the first and the third ones is there's there's a greater well the first one's about Marty and the third one's about Doc Brown and the second one is kind of like it, it's it's not really either they're just sort of it's more about well you know Biff's changed the the past so we have to go back and you know correct it otherwise we're going to be stuck in this hellhole yeah I mean. Um... It's interesting you say this because because uh, another good friend of mine, um, Ian, uh, my good friend Ian, he actually he's a big fan of Back to the Future, but he actually doesn't like the, the second part. And for me, you know, I mean, obviously, I know that the, the first one is the greatest and that's a movie in its own right and whatever. Right. But in terms of looking at it as a trilogy or the sequels, I've always kind of loved the second part. And I like the second part because, you, you know, you've obviously got three parts to the second part. So you've got the whole yeah. future or sorry, now, <laughs> which seems weird. <laughs> Where's that dustproof paper? We haven't got that, have we? But anyway, no, you, you've got you've got. Well, you mean a dust jacket? <laughs> exactly. So, so, so we've got we've got, you know, you know, you've got that. Then you've obviously got the alternate 1985 which i love that idea of you, you know the ripple in time changing everything and you know biff changing history to suit him uh, and you, you know a lot of the the, the humor and the jokes although very dark you know in in that section and then of course you've got the uh like like you said the 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 uh 1955 but seen from oh you know alternate marty's uh, perspective and all this sort of thing, which was very cleverly done. I mean, uh, in terms yeah. of in terms of the craft and y- you know the way that they actually accomplished all of this stuff. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. But but of course, I mean, y- you know, it is 
it is a film that doesn't leave you with a conclusion because you need, you know, you have to, if you watch part two, you have to watch part three. It's kind of to, to, to get to the end yeah. of it. But. That that was the annoying thing. I mean, I saw parts two and three at the cinema, and back in eighty nine, when you saw part two, and then you saw that to be continued, and then you saw the whole. They had like a trailer for the third part there, and you were like, "Oh, uh, how long do I have to wait for this? Oh, till the summer." Yeah, it wasn't that long, was it? <laughs> it was a few months, but it wasn't too bad. But no, it was the summer because um because Back to the Future Part Two came out. Uh, just before Christmas 89. That's right. And we didn't get Back to the Future Part 3 until the summer of uh, of 90. Yeah, but it was something to look forward to. Don't, don't forget, these were the days when you had to be patient, not like nowadays where it's all fucking <laughs> the True. same day and all this shit. But, uh, but you, you, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I have to say, I mean, I think when I saw the second one, um, I may have actually, because obviously five years had moved on, I, I may have actually been like on a date, uh, I, I think. And I think it, this, this was the Ooh. shape of things to come. The girl was totally <laughs> pissed off with me because I was way more into the movie <laughs> than I was her. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, we won't go there. But, um, but no, uh, I, I did, unfortunately. But um, no, uh, you know, I really, I really enjoyed that uh, that second act, and and um, you, you, you know, it was it was a shame. One of the things I thought was a shame, and it's funny, I always have a, a, a chat. Me and Ian always talk about this, or, or I've previously mentioned. Uh, he, he always jokes it is there's always someone who's got to ruin it. We we, we talk about um, in many film franchises and many of the ones that we like. Sadly, due to, due to various reasons, and it always happens. Sometimes you, you, you'll get, you know, an actor that, that can't reprise their role and, and they have to recast it. And obviously, Claudia Wells, who played yeah. Jennifer, uh, she had some personal problems with her family and had to take care of her mum and wasn't available. So yeah. they cast the equally yeah. lovely Elizabeth Shue for parts two and three. But obviously, it is quite jarring because even though they try and dress her up and make her up, it's clearly not the same person. And, uh, uh, you know, I always thought that was kind of a shame you know, of not keeping it absolutely perfect because you have a change of actor. A bit like a bit like Savick in the Star Trek uh films, you know. <laughs> it was always kind of a shame, but uh but you know um, I have to say I didn't mind I I um watching Bats of the Future again recently, I have to say she's she she's very wooden as an actress. Who is? Which one? And I f not Elizabeth. Oh Shue, Claudia but, Wells. Um, yeah. Yes. And um, I think, I mean, there was a lot of ADR going on there as well. So I'm not sure. But she, um, well, I mean, Elizabeth Shue, I mean, she brought a little bit of extra something to the role. But again, her role still wasn't that big. I mean, she was a bit more involved in the first part of Back to the Future Part 2. But then... She was left on a on a bench. Yeah, they, they put her to sleep to the end of part three. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, they didn't put her to sleep, but she um she passed out from seeing her future exactly, self. Exactly. Yeah. She? Yeah. Well, after she well she's put to sleep for a bit and then she passes out mm. after seeing her future self. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, always interesting when they re recreated that final scene of the first film. You, you know, uh, obviously as well as her being different, suddenly Marty's wristwatch appears out of nowhere, which 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 I always. Distracting as well. I was like, he wasn't wearing a watch in the first one. <laughs> I have to say, um, 
Back to the Future Part 3 has got one of the worst cuts in it in all three films. It's the bit where Clara's given Doc Brown the telescope to look through and he just, you know, and to the end of the scene, they just have uh, Marty go, nice telescope. And then it just cuts straight to the party. And it's just, it's just horrible. That's just like, I would have cut that. I would have cut Marty's line out because it was just really horrible. I mean, it's just, the thing about the third one is that Marty McFly is kind of put to the sidelines a little bit. I mean, it is, this one is more Doc Brown's story. We get to him to have this love story, don't you? Which which is yeah, nice. Yeah, but, yeah. But I mean, you you get to see he he's more involved. Yeah. Because in the first part, you see more Marty than Doc Brown, and then again with the second one, and then so the third one, it's more Doc Brown, and um, with Marty having to come to the rescue, and so so some of the scenes, he's kind of you know, he's kind of just left to say a few one liners. Like that bit when he sees the pie um, container, it goes frisbee. And he goes frisbee, you know, far out. Yeah, yeah. And then you know his, his relatives from the past go, "Oh, he just said it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the other thing as well because um, with parts two and three, uh, Michael J. Fox suddenly wanted to play more roles as well. In part two, not only did he play Mike McFly, but he played both the kids. And the elder Marty McFly. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was Marlene, and yeah, all, all these other other characters, which is oh Marty McFly, Marty Jr. McFly Junior. Yes, and and Marlene yeah. McFly, and <laughs> and then of course in the third one it got even worse. Yeah, I mean he was creepy as a as as the daughter, but then uh, his Irish accent was very Irish, wasn't it? Or oh, I'm an American doing Irish Young accent. Marty. Oh. Yes, yeah. I thought I'd come here today. I've always had something to do with my future. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you, you know, the, the the third one though, you know, it was also an excellent, mm. you know, comedy western. Oh, it's a great homage to to westerns. Yeah. I mean, the the shot when he walks in, um, into the town is taken straight from um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, and also I love um, Alan Silvestri does the sort of uh, Western version of the score, you know, and, uh, you, you know, there's a great theme. There's an absolutely great theme that they use in, in, in that episode, you know, um, throughout it, which I, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And uh, but of course, you know, even this even this film, you've got all these wonderful payoffs to um, yeah. to, to, to things that happened in two, you know, right down to, you know, him seeing Biff watching, uh, um, you know, Clint Eastwood on the television and stuff like that. It's it's great. Yeah, for a few dollars, uh, for a, uh, a fistful of dollars, yeah. yes. And he gets the whole, because he then he plays Clint Eastwood and you, you see him at the gunfight and he's wearing, um, oh, what do they call it? Poncho, yeah. Poncho, thank you With very the much. bulletproof vest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a nice touch and um, it's, I have to say, I mean, the actor who played uh, Biff Tannen. Yeah, Thomas F. Wilson. He's brilliant. Ah, oh, you know, he's he is great in all these films. And and the fact that he gets to play Biff Tannen in so many different states, including playing his great granddad. Mad dog. You know, <laughs> Mad dog. I hate that name. Mad dog. <laughs> Manu. I hate Manu. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant at all. Yeah. It, you know, in this in this case, you know, we talked in other podcasts about you know films that self-reference and how it can get a bit winky and a bit cheesy and all this. Obviously, because of the tone of these films, you, you know, all of the self-referencing actually really works nicely. You know, it, it does. But I mean, it's not self-referencing itself. It's sort of self-referencing the times. Because, exactly. Uh, the, the nice thing is because it's, you know, you imagine a kid from 85 has gone back in time or gone to the future or back in even more in time. He, you know, he would come up with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And and I mean, and of course, you know, at the time, I mean, we, we, we do it all of the time now with film franchises. But at the time, you know, filming the parts two and three back to back, you know, what wasn't that common? I mean, I think the Soul no, Kinds had done it with the Musketeers movies or something, and uh, well, they had and, done it with the it was Superman, and Superman one and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, but obviously, uh, you, you know, you know, this this was this was a little bit more unusual at the time. And then, of course, the other thing with this film, again, it all works for the story, but was you know the amount of product placement in this franchise is is unbelievable but again it it all works i mean i i remember really wanting i really wanted a jvc uh you know vhsc camcorder i was amazed by that and now when you think you know that the, the iphone 6s that they've just launched you can actually uh, record in 4k on that and it's like my god so there you go there is something <laughs> but but yeah. uh you, you know well this is the thing if they were to uh remake these films oh god I mean, you'd have you would have all that come in yeah i i don't know i mean i'll say this if it's a film they could remake mm. because you're you'll have somebody who's coming from you know 2015 and going back in time yes yeah. But uh if it would be the same or not it just all depends on who's involved and what they're doing if they do it as like a as if they take the concept of somebody who's from 2015 going back in time to say 1955 or 1965 or 1975 it would it would work really well if they just they keep to that concept and don't make it self-referential to any of the back to the future films just make it its own back to the future film and it would work really well yeah but that's not how hollywood works it they, they would have to say, oh, you remember Back to the Future? Mm. You remember that film you liked? Well, here it is with, you know, some fresh face in it, but it's the same old shit that's happened last time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with this, you know, that the, the cocktail of, of all the people involved, um, you know, it just works so well. And even, even mm. down to, you know, you were talking about the poster design. I mean, I just love the yeah. fact that even with that, they, they, they were smart, you know, so you've got the two characters in the second part and the three characters in the third poster and, and you know, exactly. all of that stuff, ev everything about it just works so and well. And the card, you notice as well that the card design on each one is different. Absolutely. Because in the second one, it's got the, um, oh, what's that device he has? The yeah, the Mr. Fusion instead Mr. of the... Mr. Fusion. Yeah. And then on the third poster, you can see the railway wheels on there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So. No, I mean, it, it, it's, it's uh, you, you know, it, in terms of layers and, and you know, I love multi-layered stuff and this this film, I mean, that's that's the beauty. You can almost like watch these things even now and pick out stuff that you might not have noticed. I mean, that is that is the brilliant thing. They are so good for repeat viewing because there are so many Easter eggs um, mm. 
all over the place in the actual design of this film, you know, and uh, and Lawrence G. Paul and and um, Alan Carter, you know, the production designers both did fantastic jobs on those movies. You know, I, I want to say there's this there's one Easter egg that they repeat in parts one and parts three that I really like, and the fact is they get either the lead singer or the band of the song yes. to be in the film. Yeah. So in the first one, you had um, Huey Lewis. You're just too darn loud. <laughs> That's it. And in the third one, you get ZZ Top at the, uh, the That's dark. right. That's right. Which is, yeah. which is cool, which is very cool. But, um, well, because ZZ Top looks like they come from the 1885. That's true. That's true. They had the beards. They had their own beards. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Rick, Rick Carter and Lawrence G. Paul, you know, as production designers, I think, along with, you know, Dean Cundy and Alan Silvestri and all those guys um, deserve a lot of credit as well, as do ILM for the effects on these movies, which, you know, pretty much hold up quite well even by today. Uh, it's interesting, actually. Next Wednesday, they're actually doing a uh, re-release at the cinema of all three films as a sort of special future day. Uh, mm. Or sorry, tonight, if you're not listening to this podcast, <laughs> you, you might be out a future day. But again, it'll be interesting to see them on the big screen again because, um, you know, and see how well they look. Did you see Bats of Future when it had its re-release recently? When it had its, like, um, 2K... Uh, restoration Wait, how long ago was that because i did go to it was a, a couple of years ago okay yes I, it was a couple of years well ago. i i went and i was really sad and the reason i was really sad is i went to this uh, i booked a booked a seat for it and everything and i turned up and there were literally about half a dozen people in the cinema watching it and i was like really uh, right. <laughs> i was like you know what the fuck really i was i was so oh. upset that that more people hadn't gone to see it you know it's kind of like it made me feel old it was like oh my god look at me all wrapped up in nostalgia <laughs> and the young kids out there don't give a shit you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> but yeah so i did see it on the big screen uh, a few years back yeah when when they did that and it looked good i remember it looking good yeah, I remember you could see the makeup because ov obviously, you know, this is back when they were aging characters using um, prosthetic effects, which they did very well. But of course, when you remaster something in high def, you know, everything becomes even clearer. And obviously, one of the areas where that can kind of suffer sometimes is you, you can notice things like, um, you know, makeup uh, prosthetics and things of that nature much more. Uh, than than probably intended so that would probably be the only thing that, that, that... yeah i mean yeah you, you but you you see that a lot in sort of older films yeah but at the end of the day i mean i think you know uh apart from that i mean the the makeup effects work really well. oh they do i mean i'm not knocking yeah. them i think they're brilliant i'm just saying that the but you just high you death enhances, them more, yeah. enhances the uh the detail more that you can probably notice mm. it a bit better but um, not 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 that what you notice doesn't look amazing because yes they they yeah. did a really good job. In fact, I found that again sort of bringing things back to today. One of the things I found quite interesting in um, uh, the pre-credit sequence to Ant Man earlier this year was the fact that um, the, the 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 scene that was supposed to be set at the Triskelion in the eighties at the beginning they used three different film techniques 
to 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 alter the ages of of, of the actors. So you had Haley Atwell um, as as Agent Carter, obviously supposed to be you know thirty five, forty years younger or whatever, and they used prosthetic makeup to change her. Then they had Michael Douglas that they'd use CGI to make look forty years younger, and then they had a different actor. Uh, playing, you know, the the older version of um, Howard Stark. So you had kind of yeah. three different techniques, all of which worked, but in one scene of of, of you know how to uh, how, how to show age difference. And I thought that was quite interesting. I mean, I think <laughs> with Michael Douglas, I, I I did hear that they had taken footage from like other films and manipulated it. What or, Romance in the no. Stone and whatever. <laughs> no, no, I heard. Well, I. I I heard Wall Street being mentioned. Oh right, okay, just being yeah. talked about. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's they they've sometimes uh, with the Marvel films when they've used CGI to age people, it's it's been quite noticeable. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I did notice in Winter Soldier. Right. When um, with Agent Carter. Yeah. Because they they I think they use CGI on her in that scene when he visits her and uh, yeah. Yeah, and I remember that sort of not looking so great. So maybe that's why they went with um, sort of uh, more makeup this time instead of CGI on her. Yeah, yeah, that was quite interesting. But um, but mm-hmm. you, but you know, yeah, even even that in Back to the Future, um, I think was was you know well ahead of its time, and no pun intended, and um, <laughs> and, and, and and worked worked really well. And uh, you, you know, it is it it is a a, fam- a fabulous trilogy of films. Um, yeah. That, that that you know as i said i still love i'm actually quite tempted to get the u.s uh edition of the uh of the new blu-ray trilogy with the cartoon set as well i'm, I'm quite interested to get that now but uh well let's hope it's region free because yeah. uh if it is then i, I might get that purchase because um like yourself i have owned this on sort of every kind of media going apart from blu-ray so yeah um so I might, I might sort of go out there and get it, but uh, yeah. Well, much as I'm, no much as I'm against, um, you know, pirating and and all of the problems that you know come along with that. The one thing that does sort of piss me off with the studios and and the industry out there is this whole, you know, regionalization of of of, you know, DVDs or downloads or Blu-rays or whatever. It's it's kind of it's kind of annoying, particularly as now the actual release dates for the films themselves are much closer than, 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 than they've ever been. Now, I just don't see why you just can't have a sort of worldwide standard and can get it everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's things are changing. It's just, um, I mean, the fact that you still have regions and you have different kinds of, of certification and censorship and, you know, and for all the sort of tentpole films that all come out at the same time, other films they are spread out and have like a normal what we would call a normal release pattern where it would go from country to country so yeah for every you know marvel film that all comes out at the same time you'll have another film like frank that you know is here in britain in the summer and then but doesn't get released until the next year in the u.s so you know it's that they have to do that and also the fact that you know um like with the bats of future discs uh, I think one of the reasons why we don't get the whole casting series is because they had to pay for each episode to be certificate. You know. Oh yeah, the BBFC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it would cost. It would just. It's just 
not worth the money. Well, that's why you don't get extras sometimes for that very reason, because all of that has to go through. And uh, yeah, often it wasn't it wasn't always the case. It wasn't always the case, but it is it is now. Every every minute of footage on on a disc has to be watched by the BBFC, and you can't pay for it for every minute of footage that they have to watch. I, I understand. I do understand the economics behind and the reasons behind these things. It's just a it's just a frustration, and and sometimes you can see why it leads to uh, you know to piracy and things of that nature, which is a shame. But uh, you know, yeah, because I mean, also we've had films that we've not been released here. We still haven't seen um, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer still has not been released. Oh yes, in this yes, country. you've mentioned this before. Yeah, okay, interesting. And you know, and the only way you can see it, see it, is piracy, or if you've got access to American Netflix. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. it is crazy. Oh well, there you go. But anyway, but um, let's 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 go back to Back to the Future. Which, which, by the way, was almost called what was it, Spaceman from Pluto or something? Did you hear that story? <laughs> something like that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, thank God, it, thank God, it was Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I do, a better title always sort of uh, presents itself, and usually, but uh, when you're first starting out, you you come up with all kinds of titles. I mean, Blood and Roses originally was going to be called There Will Be Blood. Ah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly a Paul Thomas Anderson film film came out and we had like, oh, we better change the title. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that always happen. But uh... yeah. So I was just going to ask you, what's your favorite scene from uh, from the film? Oh, my God. OK. Uh, that's like trying to pick a favorite child or whatever, isn't it? Um, Come on. We all have. Them. Oh, uh... Yeah. Well, you, tell me yours while I'm thinking of mine because I, I, can't, I can't I can't think of one. Of I mean, I love it all. Well, um, I, I I always liked the low key opening to uh, part three where you had the um, that Marty's taken Doc back to um, to his house yeah. and it's raining, so you get to see what happens after the you know the thunderstorm. Yes, and that whole bit with him waking up and not realizing how he got back there and and then when he sees marty freaking out i mean always always enjoyed that scene yeah no i mean that was again that was really good at uh you know filling in gaps visually um you, you know and having that whole sequence where you where you see all that stuff i mean i have to say my room is starting to look like bloody doc doc brown's home at the moment because uh, <laughs> uh where i'm trying to sort of work on scripts and films and write things and i've got piles of blu-rays and dvds and paperwork and reference books and yeah it's looking a bit of a mess um <laughs> no I, I think i think a scene that i really like uh, is actually from from part two and uh but it doesn't involve um george marty or, or or doc it's the scene between uh young biff and old biff and it's the, yes. it's the scene where he's in the car with him and, you know, they're talking about him, you know, using the sports almanac to uh, to change his life and to bet on the stuff. And and, um, you, you know, he, he says, you know, don't let it out of your sight. Um, have you got a safe? No, of course you haven't. Get yourself a safe, you know, and, and all that stuff. And then, of course, you have to pay off, you know, in the first film where they never intended to have the sequel just to make Biff look like an idiot. You know, they did that whole 
make like a tree and get out of here thing. And they have him yeah. say it and then he has him correct himself <laughs> and have a go at himself for, for looking like an idiot and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, I actually think that's a great scene. That's a brilliantly written and performed scene. That's what love. And also the fact you, you have the same actor playing two roles on the same screen and it, it's seamless. You don't really see... Yeah, where they they've split the screen, or where they've used maybe a, a, a body double and stuff like that. No, what I want to say about that, there is one slightly dodgy effect though by today's standard, and that's where he it's slightly old school because it is a split screen thing where he throws the almanac and says, "Well, leave and take your book with you," you know, and he throws it, and the it's clearly an am- animated almanac that goes between oh, them. Right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but it's, it's a great scene, so who cares? <laughs> Can I just say something, though? Because, uh, you know, you said it was just the scene with those two. You're wrong. Marty is in the back of the car. He's in the, he's in the back listening to it all. That's true. Yes. And, yeah. and, of course, yeah. when he throws the book, that's when, he, when it lands on him and there's that wonderful bit. Yeah, so there's some nice tension yeah. in there as well. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, no, that, that, that's a great scene. But, um, but it is hard to pick because there are so many fucking wonderful scenes across that trilogy so (laughs) uh there is also i mean i just want to say i always love the fact that um in all the films where the car jumps to the past or the future you you don't see it go off yes so it's you you're there with them and you're straight into the past or straight into the future so you don't see anything that happens afterwards yeah so you don't see Doc Brown standing there all on his own or apart from at the end of the first one. Yeah. You have that lovely, um, they they do like a, 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 this lovely edit where you see Doc sort of dancing in the street and looking up and then, and then the next shot is, is the clock tower and you see a helicopter fly over just to let you know you're back yeah. in, the, in the present. Oh, it's beautifully done. And then, of course, they redo it in the, in the end of the second one, which... We're, you we're... see that because then Marty runs in because he's had the i have to say the whole sequence at the end of part two where he's in the rain and the guy comes up to me goes are you marty mcfly yeah it's like yes i have a letter for you <laughs> <laughs> that sequence great it's I clever do, i do like that yeah. sequence. yeah uh the other the other scene another whole scene that i really really enjoy in the first film again i think it's so well done is the scene where you first meet uh the whole of the mcfly family so it kind of mm. starts with lorraine coming in you know with the cake that she baked for the jailbird <laughs> joey you know and he didn't get yeah. her off. and then they talk about you know the, the, the daughter says about the fish under the sea dance and she it's the enchantment under the sea dance and all of that stuff and all of george mcfly's like <laughs> <laughs> and the TV and all that sort of stuff. That scene's brilliant. It is brilliant, but it's also brilliant for the fact that you can just tell that she's not in love with him. That whatever whatever fracturation she had with him as a as a young lady is gone. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that actually, that I'm glad you said that because that is a key mm. thing about these films. When you really think about it, even though this is a sci-fi comedy film, and you've got actors, you know, like wearing prosthetics and you know, funny hairstyles and all all sorts of things. What is really great about this is the acting is absolutely top notch. I mean, it really is. They're not, you know, even though it's there's comedy moments in there that work, you know, they are totally not playing it for comedy. And and that's a great example. You can tell from Leah Thompson's great performance in that that 
that uh, you, you know you you feel for that character and you can see that those years of 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 have been have you know taken their toll on her and, and and stuff like that and and that's a really good point that is so beautifully acted by by that young cast you know it's really good yes yeah, it's, it's, it's always a shame she did feel kind of wasted in the in the third one as in she was just like she was just there so they could have the the bit where he wakes up and says, "Oh, I've had a horrible dream." Yes, exactly. <laughs> who are you? You're my. You're my. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it was quite nice because usually it's like you're, 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 because he's usually going about saying you're my mum. Yeah. And then this time it's like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> now it's great. I mean, again, that works. Yeah. That that that's a lovely yeah. bit of timing and very very well written and and love beautifully performed and uh, you, you you know. Um, really really can just keep waxing lyrical about these films because they, they are mm. so it just makes me smile they, they that's the thing they make me smile and they always make me feel good and it's one of those mm. it's one of those trilogies that i've always had in my collection all the way through you know along with you know bond films and star wars trilogies and diehard films and halloween and terminator and too many to mention but you, you know that that they're, they're, they're they're the ones that I always keep updating whatever version comes out, you know, whether there's yeah. more features or a different format or, or whatever. It's, 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 it's one of those must haves. And um, it is. And it's, it's, it's nice that uh, still now, every time I watch it, there's still something I missed. And, um, you know, I'll give you a great example of this. And this is sort of um, continuity from what happens in the past to the future. So, when Marty McFly goes to meet Doc Brown in the first one, he goes to uh, a shopping mall that's called the Twin Pine Malls. Mm -hmm. So when he goes into the past, he knocks over one of the pines. Absolutely. And then it's the Lone so Pine Mall. Comes... <laughs> exactly. You've seen it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, that, again, that was beautifully, uh, beautifully yeah. put in and, and very subtle, but yeah so subtle that i i hadn't caught it until recently oh really okay okay yeah yeah i was yeah it was something like oh okay wait a minute is that i think also because the fact that the 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 time between each uh time you see those signs is such a long time you're right you know yeah you're absolutely right because so much has happened so by the time you get there you're actually you're more concentrated on mike mcfly trying to reach Doc Brown before he gets shot. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's loads of nice little touches. Like something I liked in the third film was, um, and it's just a simple little performance-y, actor -y thing, but I, I like it, is when, when Marty's asleep by the campfire out in the Old West, he is led in exactly the same position that you see him sleeping at the beginning of the first film before Doc Brown wakes That's him right, up. Yeah. And, and it's little things. Yeah. It's all those little things. And obviously they're, they're completely intentional. They're, they are they are there for that reason, but they, they're not telegraphed. They're just sort of things that that on multiple watching, you know, you can kind of appreciate and see and... Um, uh, yeah, you, you it know. doesn't. They 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 don't bring attention to themselves. It's you 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 know they're there, but you don't have to have a flag waving or a big sign going ding 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 ding. Exactly. It's just yeah. Exactly. By the way, someone someone who deserves mention as well, uh, even though it's only a supporting character, but great, I think, is uh, James Tolkien as uh, 
Mr. Strickland. Mr. Strickland, yes. Uh, Slacker! Slacker. Uh, again, again, when he does that bit in alternate 1985 where he's got the pump-action shotgun and all of that stuff. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I howled with laughter when I first saw that. I thought that was so well done, you know? Well, um, I saw a film recently at the London Film Festival. It's uh, Bone Tomahawk. Right. And he has a cameo in it. And it was just, it was just, it was so great to see. There's actually quite a few cameos in this film. Mm -hmm. And um, James Tolkien plays um, a piano player who's, he's got a great line in how to make money. It's, uh, it's, it's really nice seeing that film. And um, it's got Sean Young in it as well in another cameo. And I didn't recognize her at first. And Michael Perry. Oh, wow. Okay. But as I say, they're, they're only cameos. They only appear in like a scene or two. Uh, but it's all about Kurt, Kurt Russell and that mustache. You've seen it for all the advertising for uh, the Hateful Eight. Yeah, he's he's kept that big walrus mustache for this film. Kind of suits him. Kind of suits him in a weird mm. way. Yeah, 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 no. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he had a, he had a fine mustache in uh, Tombstone. Indeed, he did. Indeed. So it's a it's more like an you know, um, if he had grown that out. And this is what it would have become. <laughs> I love it. Um, talking of cameos, uh, did you see A Million Ways to Die in the West? Well, yes, I did. And yes, I saw the Doc Brown cameo. Which was, I love. It was quite nice. Yeah, it was quite nice. I mean, it's probably the only good bit in that film. I mean, it wasn't... I had a lot of problems with that film. I thought also the shots in that was very lazy. I thought the way they shot things in it was not very good. And also the advertising was very misleading well the thing is you know i think the problem is i think people were expect because it was seth mcfarlane people were expecting to see uh you know a film like ted you know or something which it wasn't i, th I think the problem with it was that seth mcfarlane clearly has such a massive love for westerns that that he, he was trying to make you know, like a good Western and trying to put himself in a good Western. And that was probably, you know, one of the reasons that it that it maybe didn't work. But I mean, I, I found it quite amusing, but I absolutely, you know, to keep it on Back to the Future, I absolutely loved the uh, the Doc Brown cameo <laughs> with him in the yeah. shed working on the, on the DeLorean, you know, DeLorean, in the Old yeah. West. I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> and he said about a weather experiment. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. yes, that's, that's, that's awesome. And he's a great Scott, well, of course. <laughs> I have to say, though, that um, he is very good at that because I love the, um, the Flash Gordon cameo. Oh, yes, in, um, in Ted. In Ted, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. And the way they ended that film as well. <laughs> yeah. With a flash jump. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it. speaking of cameos, there's a there's a wonderful cameo in parts one and two where you get uh, George Buck Flower, who was in, you know, a lot of Carpenter's films like They Live. Right. As playing the bum. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Damn drunk driver. <laughs> yeah. Or damn drunk pedestrians yeah no brilliant absolutely absolutely it's uh it, it, it it's uh it has a lot of layers in there and uh you know so 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 much good stuff so much good stuff and um you know uh okay we haven't got flying cars and hoverboards and all of that sort of thing but as i said i still think i still think the imagination that went into into all of that stuff was really good you know 
Yeah, it, it's it's like when we reached 2001 and, you know, we didn't have moon bases and, you know, we weren't flying around the uh, the galaxy. So, yeah, it's 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 tough sort of trying to predict the future because um, we always catch up with it. And it's never quite what it's like. Yeah. Well, I think I think um, I think Back to the Future gets away with it in the fact that, you know, first of all, because of what the films are tonally. But second of all, because because they talk about this uh, this this whole idea of um, timelines and, and alternate realities and, and things of that nature. And pretty much when you know the, the, the way the film ends is, you know, the, the, the future's not written, you know, like the sort of Terminator stuff. But um, and and, you know, I, I think it works quite well in this. And of course, this this had a massive impact then on on films coming out following it like uh obviously in 86 uh you know they release a star trek film which is the first of the motion picture films to actually deal with 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 the time travel you know with star trek 4 and saving the whales and stuff i have to say i don't know if that had any effects on it i don't think they went oh that's the future we must do a time travel one as well because you had time travel in star trek i mean it's it's been a staple of the star trek universe i mean i think every incarnation of star trek has a time travel story. oh it does it does but i think uh, yeah. i think and I'm, I'm sure i remember an interview of harv bennett about this where you know you know obviously even though sort of two three and four is is, is like a trilogy of, of star trek yeah. films you, you know they they obviously didn't have the story sort of worked out ahead of time and i think it was like a studio suggestion because of the popularity of Back to the Future, they do something about time traveling into the past with with the Star Trek franchise. I'm, I'm sure I I did hear an interview where it was it was part inspiration for that. And um, oh. and then of course you know the the whole the way that the the the, the second film uh, you know dealt with timelines and and coming back into the into you know different timelines and different alternate realities of course, has been used as a sort of, um, you, you know, model with or, or a reference point with things like, you, you know, the, the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot and the uh, X-Men Days of Future Past and uh, to an extent with the with the Terminator film that, that, that came out this year, Genesis. You know, they've all sort of yeah. they've all sort of borrowed from that that. Um, you, you know, concept where, you, you, you know, you can you can jump back and, and change a timeline that will, you know, obviously affect uh, the present and change things and, 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 you know, allow that to be a sort of way of creative storytelling without necessarily, it, it's a way of rebooting, but without sort of um, saying that everything that came before didn't matter. It's a sort of, uh, you know, fan's answer. <laughs> I like that about the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film. I thought Terminator Genesis just took a big giant crap over the James Cameron's films. Oh, I didn't think it was. No, it did. It it bloody well did. And, you know, I'm glad it was a, you know, it was a flop at the cinema. Because it's just, I'm just, oh, it's like leave Terminator alone now. Yeah, well, I mean, I. I just just let it be. I, I, uh, I. I... I have pro I have issues and problems with it, but overall, I thought uh, there, it, what it was is there were things they did very well, and then there were things they did not so well, and you, you know that that's the problem. But uh, 
but I thought, you know, in terms of the the, the way of rebooting it and and kind of tying it in with the with the first film, I, I thought they did. There was definitely some nice touches in there, but uh, um, you know, it was just too much CGI for my liking in the actual action sequences because you you look at that next to the original, uh, sorry, or next to Terminator Two, should I say? And even though, of, of course, Terminator 2's got its fair share of CGI where it was necessary to create that character but of the T-1000, but all of the action sequences were still kind of done for real and just enhanced somewhat. Whereas in Terminator Genesis, they end up having this helicopter chase, which is just so, you know, you just don't believe it. And, and, and it were things like that that let it down, in, in my opinion, rather than the actual idea and, and storyline. Um, well, no. I mean, there's, there's, there's got a, it's a multitude of problems. I mean, the fact that they, they have so many villains for a start. I mean, also the fact that Sarah Connor can identify her son, even though he's all grown up, and also the fact that you know, Carl Reese was to go back. Part of his mission was to, you know, get uh, Sarah Connor up the duff. And it doesn't happen. So there is no John Connor. So how can John Connor come back as a Terminator if they're not even had, se- you know, and you're just like... Uh, that's why it's a paradox, it's, you see. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's not a paradox. It's a pile of shit that they should have just left alone. Yeah, well... I mean, t- you know, just... I, 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 To me, to me with the Terminator series, it stops with two. After that, I don't care because they just, they just go downhill all, you know, from there. And the fact is they just do not have the same... I mean, each those two films, the storytelling in it is great, and everything serves the story. And with the other ones, they're either, you know, the greatest hits of Terminator films. Yeah. Well, know. I mean, it, they didn't. They didn't have the magic of Cameron. That's the problem. But let me ask: Did you ever see the Terminator TV series, which picks up after the second film, which David Nutter directed? I saw. Uh, I think the first couple of episodes and i didn't get that yeah it was it it got cancelled when it was just getting really good unfortunately but yeah uh, yeah um i i was i was a fan of that i i thought they they handled that quite nicely um you know once once i got over the different actor thing <laughs> which we've already talked about but yeah once i got over that i was uh i i i quite enjoyed what they what they'd done with that but um but yeah, again, Terminator yeah. One and Two uh, up there with the Back to the Future trilogy in in terms of one of those films <laughs> that I've owned on every single format that that it's been released on in different versions with different extras and you name it. Very nice, just bringing it back, bringing, it, bringing back. it back. Yes. Well, otherwise, <laughs> I feel we get into a whole other podcast with with oh, yeah, the Terminator yeah, yeah. One yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I mean. We'll we'll sort of wrap it up now, but um, it's you know it, it's great that we finally got to 2015, and uh, maybe you don't know, maybe Marty and Doc might you know appear somewhere, in, <laughs> might appear in Hill Valley 2015, mm. and uh, you know suddenly they're faced with a, a new cult, you know, oh dear, with no flying cars and. <laughs> Pollution's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I look ridiculous with two ties. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and all those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Um, but yes, ha- it just leads us really to say happy future day, everyone. 
<laughs> yes. Happy Future Day. And uh, I hope you uh, go out and watch Back to the Future, uh, if not at uh, your local cinema, but then on DVD, Blu-ray. Get the US Blu-ray edition. <laughs> <laughs> The flux capacitor box edition. It's all good. Great, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> it's heavy. Yeah, that is heavy indeed. There's something <laughs> wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, love it, love it. Uh, anyway, that's our love fest for this podcast. <laughs> indeed. Um, and then, uh, well. Following this, we have another, well, we'll, we've got another special coming up for Halloween. And uh, we've got Clive and Mike joining us for that one. So that's going to be a bumper edition. That's going to be a mega edition. That's going to be a marathon, (laughs) isn't it, that one? (laughs) It is indeed. Uh, But uh, it's going to be out just in time for Halloween. So so join us for that. It's going to be a heaven-hell scenario, isn't it? So, yes. Oh, it is indeed. It is indeed. But uh, it's it's going to be good fun. So um, we'll sign off in our normal manner. Um, So, Keith, how can we find your work? Well, if you haven't completely given up, on me by now you can find my work on youtube <laughs> uh go to british isles e-y-l-e-s as in my uh last name and you will find short films that i've written produced and directed for your viewing pleasure or or not <laughs> uh you can find my work at independentrunnings.com or you can uh look on uh, YouTube at uh, Independent Runnings. You can also find uh, episodes of this podcast on there as well. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search um, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Also, um, uh, listen to us on iTunes and please leave us a rating and, uh, you know, hit those five stars. You know, we'd, uh, we we appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you to any new listeners that we get. I know that uh, some people have uh, started to uh, to tune in and, and catch up on, on old podcasts, etc. cetera. Uh, we do appreciate it. And any feedback is gratefully received. So until next time, take care. See ya. Okay, there was something I was meant to, meant to mention uh, about Back to the Future, and I totally forgot. But here you go. It was it's just a little movie connection for me that I always liked, and that was obviously in Back to the Future when he arrives in 1955. They're playing, um, you know, Mr. Sandman, and that always used to make me think of one of my other favourite films, which was Halloween Two, uh, with the fact that they play Mr. Sandman at the end when. Um, you know, when Michael's mask's burning and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know the films couldn't be couldn't be further apart, couldn't be pole opposites, but I always kind of just liked the fact that there was there was a thing linking them, uh, which I think was completely unintentional, but just always uh, was always something that sort of made me smile, if you know what I mean. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And I think since Back to the Future, that song's been used quite a bit to sort of 
you know, as to say we're in the fifties and and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but ob- so, obviously yeah. Halloween two did it before, kind of like in nineteen eighty one or whatever. So um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was it was it was it's just a silly thing, but it was just something I always kind of linked the two films. And the other weird link with those two films is they both have, you know, the end of Halloween. Halloween 2 picks up exactly where the end leaves off and the end of Back to the yeah. Future, Back to the Future 2 picks up exactly where it leaves off. So there is a really weird connection there that uh, kind of, I think, is a totally total thing just in my weird head. But I, I'm, I kind of like, because <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Halloween franchise as well, obviously. So, um, yeah, there you go. 